that. I appreciate our Sunday school department. I appreciate the kids' programs. Those things are always nice. They're enjoyable. We always love to see our kids, grandkids, in action, and that's wonderful. But really, that's not what Easter's all about. Well, hallelujah. Amen. And uh, it's really about the risen Savior, who is the living Word of God. And so the best way we can honor Him is by honoring His Word. Amen. Praise God. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And uh, I've got a lot of territory to cover and very little time to get it done in. As I said, we have a candy rain downstairs for the kids. And we are finished and um, just a lot of things going on. I would also um, remind everyone that Sunday morning is not the only time we have church on Easter. We'll be having service tonight as well. And uh, we encourage you to come and be a part of a service. If you've never been in an apostolic church on a Sunday night, you owe it to yourself to come and experience the difference of Pentecost. Amen. Also, just a quick reminder that this week there is a schedule change. Tuesday night midweek service rather than Thursday night. Tuesday night this week. Don't forget that. First Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse 1. Apostle Paul writing, he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and wherein you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Amen. I'm going to try in the next few moments of time to deal with a number of things that have just been uh, eating at me, bothering me, leading up to this uh, celebration of the resurrection. So I'm going to title this lesson this morning, Setting the Record Straight. Setting the record straight. Amen. Sometimes folks have to do that. Sometimes somebody just has to stand up and declare the whole counsel of God and tell the truth just like it is. Well, praise God. It's what I intend to try to do today. I want to set the record straight. Would you pray one more time? Let's ask the Lord to speak to our hearts and to speak to the hearts of each and every individual in this house today. Lord, in Jesus' name, we are so thankful once again that we have this privilege and opportunity of being here in your house. Lord Jesus, feeling what we feel in this place, for truly there is resurrection power in this house today. I pray, God, that folks could experience that power for themselves before we leave this house. We need the touch of the Holy Ghost. We can't do this without you, nor do we want to try. But God, we plead with you today for a special anointing and unction from heaven today. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Would you worship the Lord one more time before you're seated? Everybody, let's give God some praise in this house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. And as I said, I have a lot of ground to cover. And so um, unfasten your seatbelts and uh, let's go together. Praise God. Normally when I've got a lot of ground to cover, I know I can break it up into a series. But today we have just one day to cover this Easter story. And so I've got to get it done. Praise God. So no lagging behind today. Amen. Uh, by the way, I also want to say thank you to everyone who has worked so hard the last few days getting things ready. Doesn't the church look nice? We really appreciate all the hard work. Thank you so much. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Corinth, trying to be certain that everyone knows the truth about the gospel message. Obviously, there were some problems with things that people were believing in Corinth. And the Apostle Paul felt it was his obligation to go in and set the record straight. He said, I want you to understand. Now, in Corinth, the problem was many of them did not believe in a life after death. And so Paul said, I'm going to fix that problem right here, right now. And that's what he set about doing. Amen. Well, today our problem, I hope, is not a, a doubt about life after death. But I will tell you that we come into this house with many, many misconceptions about the story that we're celebrating. Although there is nothing Christian about much of what's happening in America today, the fact remains that most Americans still consider themselves to be Christians. But the problem is that many of these Christians know very little about the Bible. What they do know are the traditions that they've been told since they were children. But I'm here to tell you some of our traditions are not truth. And it's not tradition that counts, it's truth that counts. Well, hallelujah. Amen. You know, uh, President Reagan once said many years ago, he said, the trouble with our liberal friends is not that they're ignorant, it's just that they know so much that isn't so. Well, I want to tell you, there's a whole lot of Christians that know a whole lot that isn't so. Amen. They've come to believe that there are things in the Bible that really are not even there. And so I want to try to fix some of that today. I'm going to tell you, I have one authority for everything I'm going to say today, and it's this book. I'm not here to declare to you what some man has decreed. I'm not here to read to you some writing that's been handed down from some, somebody higher up somewhere. The only person I want to talk to you about is what Jesus had to say. is what the Word of God tells us. Because this book is truth. Amen. And so we're going to deal with some of these things. Amen. Try to get through as many as we can. I may have to cut some of them out, so I won't tell you how many because... I don't know how many of them we'll get to, praise God. Now, you know, I could start with some really easy things, such as telling you that uh, rabbits and eggs are not a part of the Christian Easter story. Now, I hope that you know all of that. I hope you understand that Easter has nothing to do with a bunny and nothing to do with egg hunts. I'm not telling you these things are sinful. I'm telling you it's not a part of what we're celebrating today. Well, hallelujah. Amen. So if you're wondering why New Life is not having an Easter egg hunt, that's the reason why. I don't say it's wrong for you to do it, but it's just not something that we as Christians are promoting. Well, hallelujah. I'm not, again, I'm not preaching against it. I'm just not promoting it. 
you understand the difference. Praise God. If you want to go home today and hunt eggs, do it. I imagine my grandkids will. I'm not telling you it's wrong. I'm just telling you it's not a biblical thing. All right, so I can start with something easy. But I want to deal with some other things here, and we're just going to go through some of these. So, so follow with me. This is Sunday morning. This is Bible study time. So, so follow with me here in the Scripture. The first thing that I want to address, and I see this dealt with quite a bit. In fact, when we were in Israel the first of the year, uh, folks talked about it. And, and so I want to just set the record straight today. First thing that I want to address is that the Bible does not say that Jesus fell beneath the weight of the cross. The Bible does not say that. Now, tradition teaches that, but it's not found in the Scripture. I challenge you to go home and get your Bible out and find it. It's not there. Some traditions say he fell three times. There's no Scripture to say he fell even once. In fact, I'm going to show you in just a moment, I think I've got pretty good Scripture to prove he didn't fall at all. Well, hallelujah. I'm just trying to set the record straight this morning. Stay with me, praise God. Now, the reason why folks have come to believe this is because of what the Bible says happened. Now, now follow with me here. Got your Bibles? Open up to the book of John chapter 19, verses 16 and 17. We're going to have to hit these fairly quickly, but uh, John 19, uh, verses 16 and 17. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. Uh Uh-huh. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a school. All right, they led him away, and he went forth. He was bearing his cross. When this procession first started, Jesus was carrying his cross. However, Mark, Luke, and John give us another scenario. Uh, I'm sorry, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matthew, chapter 27, verse 32 and as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. Mark 15, 21. And they compelled one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. And Luke 23, 26. And as they led him away, they laid hold upon one Simeon, a Cyrenian, coming out of the country, and on him they laid the cross that he might bear it after Jesus. And so... So John says that Jesus started this procession carrying the cross. But Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us that at some point, someone else was made to carry the cross. Tradition stepped in and said, it's because Jesus fell. Well, that's only tradition. The Bible doesn't say that. Now, I grant this, he was beaten beyond recognition. His back was laid open. He was weak. He'd been up all night in a mock trial. I grant you that. And I'm telling you, there's a possibility maybe he did. But I think the scripture will show us that he didn't. And here's why I say that. Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. Now, we know that later in Matthew, this verse is quoted about Jesus. So this is talking about Jesus. He shall give his angels charge over thee, over Jesus, to keep you in all your ways. Read. They shall bear thee up in They'll their hands. They'll bear you up in their hands. Lest thou dash lest thy foot, dash against, your foot a stone. against a stone. And so the prophecy was that if Jesus ever did fall, the angels would catch him and pick him up. So I think that's a pretty good reason to believe he never fell at all. Because I sure don't read about the angels picking him up. 
Now, I know this is destroying some of, some of your uh, traditions this morning. Stay with me. I may destroy a few more before we're done. But I'm just trying to set the record straight today. I'm t- if we're going to worship him, the Bible says we've got to worship him not just in spirit, but in truth. So let's find out what truth is today. Let's go beyond our traditions and our stories and find out the truth of the matter. Praise God. Amen. The next one that's going to uh, upset some of your apple carts is that Jesus was not crucified on a Friday. I know we just had Good Friday. I mean, businesses shut down, people stayed home. They said, it's a holiday, this is Good Friday, commemorating the day Jesus was crucified. I'm here to tell you, on the authority of the Scripture, Jesus was not crucified on a Friday. Let me prove that to you. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. For as Jonas, These are the words of Jesus himself. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, how long is he going to be in the heart of the earth? Three days and three nights. That's crucial. Tell me how you can be crucified on Friday and be... Now, let let me give you another scripture here before we go any farther. Let's go to Mark chapter 16, uh, verses 1 through 6. And and we may have to skip through some of this for time's sake, but read. And when the Sabbath was passed... The Sabbath was passed. The seventh day was passed. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they come and anoint him. Uh-huh. Early in the morning. Early in the morning. The first the day first, of the we'll week. say the first day of the week. First day of the week, read. They came unto the sepulcher. They came to the sepulcher at the rising, at of, the the rising of the sun. And, said among themselves, and they said among themselves, who shall roll us away who's the going to roll away the stone? The All right, read. And when they but looked, when they looked, they saw the, they stone, saw was the stone was rolled away. Now, now look, we can read on. They find an angel there. You know the story. So, Early Sunday morning, he's already out of the tomb. He said, I'm going to be in that tomb three days and three nights. Please tell me how he can be crucified Friday, be out of the grave Sunday, and there be three nights pass. Can't happen. Now, I'm going to tell again, I'm going to tell you why. People start these traditions. They start it because they don't study this book. They pick up a few little things and, and they miss. That's why the Bible says, study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. you got to do some study here. John 19, verse 31. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was in high day besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. All right, now just leave this verse up here for just a few minutes. Here's where the misconception comes in. They said they had to get the body off the cross because the Sabbath day was approaching. Sabbath to the Jews, Saturday, all right? So they're saying that that his body had to come down off the cross before Saturday got here. The problem is the word Sabbath doesn't just mean the seventh day. The Jews celebrated more than just one Sabbath. Now, they had a weekly Sabbath, day of rest. That's what it means. They had a weekly day of rest, which was the seventh day. But they had other days, 
holidays, if you please, holy days that were considered Sabbaths. These included Pentecost and Passover. Passover was considered a high Sabbath. All right, are you with me? It's, it's called a Sabbath day. Passover day is a Sabbath day. No work, it's, it's a rest day. But it was not just a Sabbath, it was a high Sabbath. What did John say about what was going on that day? Read the verse again. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day. For that Sabbath day For was that high Sabbath day. day was what? And high day. That Sabbath was not just an ordinary Sabbath. It wasn't just Saturday that rolls around every week. Are you with me? But that Sabbath was a high Sabbath. What high Sabbath was it? It was Passover. That's what they were all celebrating. And so Passover day was about to come. I'm telling you, the only way that Jesus could have been in the grave for three nights, he had to, if he was up by Sunday morning, he had to have been there Saturday night, Friday night, and Thursday night. Well, praise God. I don't know if he was crucified on Thursday or Wednesday. Some discrepancy there because we know he was out of the grave by early Sunday morning. So I don't, but I do know this. He spent three days and three nights, and there is no good Friday. It may be a good Wednesday or a good Thursday, but it's not good Friday. I'm just trying to set the record straight this morning. Amen. Um, another very important, and this one is actually more important than the others, but I want to set the record straight this morning that it was not the second person of the Trinity that died at Calvary. Tradition teaches that the first person of the Trinity looked down and saw our need and sent the second person to die for us. I submit to you, that is not love. Now, this misconception again is based upon a misunderstanding of Scripture. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved the world so much he gave his Son. Now, here is what we've got to understand. The, the tradition teaches this is one person who loves you so much, he said, I'm not going to die for you. I'm telling my son to go do it. That's not love. If I were standing outside this building today and it were burning down and I looked at one of my daughters and said, you go in there and rescue them, how much love would I have? It's not one person of the Trinity sending another. And I want to show you what it really is. You've got to understand, first of all, who God is. God's not even a person. Let Jesus tell us who God is. John chapter 4, verse 24. God is a spirit. God is what? He's what? God's not a person. God's a spirit. Now, if, if, if somebody has to die to save us, a spirit can't die. If blood has to be shed to save us, a spirit doesn't have blood. And God, the Father, is a spirit. Here's what Jesus said about spirits. Luke 24, verse 39. Behold my hands and my feet, that it is my, I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones. A spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. A spirit does not have flesh and bones. Therefore, a spirit does not have blood. 
A spirit can't die for us. It took a person to do that. Well, hallelujah. And I'm going to tell you the beauty of the gospel story. It's not that one person said, I love you so much, I'm sending somebody else. The beauty of the gospel story is that the God of heaven who was a spirit and a spirit can't die said, somebody's got to do this and I'm going to do it for them. I don't have flesh and bone, but I'm going to take on flesh and bones. You want to know who the son is that was given the son that died? Luke chapter 1 verse 35 tells us. And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be that born of That holy thing that was born of Mary shall be called is what is the, the son, son of God. God. Only that which was born of Mary. Hey, maybe I should throw this in while we're at it, but I don't have time to teach on it. But Mary is not the mother of God. Mary is the mother of the son of God. The Son of God. Hallelujah. we got to understand that. The Son of God is what she gave birth to. Because the Son of God was the humanity. It was the Son of God that grew tired. It was the Son of God that got thirsty. It was the Son of God that suffered. It was the Son of God that died. That is the humanity, the flesh. Look, you've got a spirit and you've got flesh. But that doesn't make you two different people. God was a spirit that did not have flesh, but he said somebody's flesh has got to die, but it's got to be perfect flesh. And there is no such thing on the earth, so God said, I'm going to become that perfect flesh. And that's what died for us. That's the beauty of the Easter story. In fact, we talked about John 3.16, but you can't really understand John 3.16 unless you first read 1 John 3.16. Let's look at it. 1 John 3.16. Hereby perceive we the love of this God. This is how we perceive the love of whom? God. Of whom? God. This is how we perceive the love of God. Because he laid down his life. Because he laid down his life for us. Not because he told somebody else to lay down their life. But this is how we perceive that God loved us because he said, I'm not asking somebody else to jump in that fire and pull them out. I'm going down there to do it for them. Oh, hallelujah. Just trying to shatter some myths today. Oh, i got to hurry, though. Here's another one that, that's, that's been eating at me because from what I understand, there recently was a television program about the Shroud of Turin. I just want to settle the question now, and if they want to pay me millions of dollars to end their research, I'll be glad to end it for them. In fact, I'm going to do it for free this morning. The Shroud of Turin is a fake. Just trying to set the record straight. Let me tell you how I know it. Stay with me. Stay with me. Hallelujah. I, I warned you, I'm, I'm here today to set some records straight. Well, praise God not trying to make people mad. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. Shroud of Turin is a fake. It is not Jesus' burial cloth. And I'm going to prove that to you from the Bible. You know, I find it so interesting that God made sure when this Bible was written, He gave us all these answers. He knew what was going to be taught. He knew what was going to be propagated. And He put some little verse of Scripture in that book to help us know what was right. Let me show you something that proves that the Shroud of Turin is not Jesus' burial cloth. 
1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ, now, our Lord? The apostle Paul says, I've seen Jesus Christ. Right? In fact, you know why he's saying this? Because it was established that in order to be an apostle, go back to Acts chapter 1. In order to be an apostle, you had to have seen Jesus. That was one of the criteria that they set up. And so Paul is writing to Corinth, those that were questioning his apostleship, and he said, I am an apostle. I did see Jesus. Everybody got that in your mind? Paul saw him. Paul laid eyes on him. Paul knew what he looked like. That's 1 Corinthians 9. Turn over two chapters later. Same letter, same author. Just two chapters later in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 14. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? I know this really upsets people when I start saying this, but it's in the Bible. It's in the Scripture. And I'm telling you, the man who laid eyes on Jesus said, it's a shame for a man to have long hair. Now, would he have said that if the man he was worshiping wore long hair? He wouldn't have said it was a shame if Jesus' hair was long. Right? Right? Does this, does this make sense to anybody but me? Why would Paul say it's a shame to wear long hair if the very Lord he worshipped wore his hair long? He didn't wear it long, but the man on that shroud sure has long hair. That man's not Jesus. Let me give you some more. Just in case that's not good enough, let me give you another passage that proves beyond the shadow of a doubt the shroud of Turin is not the burial cloth of Jesus. All right? I'm going to settle the issue. If, if they just get this book down, they wouldn't have to do all these millions of dollars of research. Um, John chapter 20, verses 6 and 7. Then cometh Simon Peter following him uh -huh. and went into the sepulcher. Now, Simon Peter goes into the tomb. Read. And seeth the linen clothes And so alive. he sees the linen clothes. Now, now, this is the burial cloth. Peter sees the burial cloth. Right? Right? Peter sees the burial cloth. That's not all he sees. Read. And the napkin. And the napkin that was about his Well, there was one set of linen clothes that wrapped his body. And then there was something else that wrapped his head. Not one long piece that went over his whole body. Um, scripturally, the Shroud of Turin is a fake. All right, I'm just trying to set the record straight today. I got, let me do just one more here. I've, I've, I've got another one, but let me, let me just do one last one here. And, and this is the most crucial out of everything that I've said today. If you reject everything else I've presented today, hear me on this last one, all right? I want to set the record straight that just believing in the Easter message is not enough to save you. I deal with folks all the time. I've heard it, I heard it, and heard it, and heard it while we were in Israel. People saying, if you'll just believe, believe that Jesus died, that he buried, was buried, and that he rose again. Believe that, and you're saved. I want to tell you, you've got to do more than believe it. 
And I'm going to prove that to you from the scripture. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 21 to 23. Who by him do believe in God. Everyone say believe. believe. All right, now he talks about believing here, right? He's talking about believing, but he's not finished. Read. That raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Uh-huh. Seeing ye have purified now, your souls. Now, he said you, you purified your souls. In obeying the truth. Not by believing the truth. He said, yeah, I know you believed it, but I want to make this clear. You didn't purify your soul because you believed it. You purified your soul because you obeyed it. Well, hallelujah. Read on. He said, you purified your souls in obeying the truth. Through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently. Right. Being born again. Born again. Not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. I'm here to tell you that just believing the message is not enough. You've got to go beyond believing it and do something about it. You're going to have to obey the message if you want to be saved. Hey, I'm not trying to be ugly, crude, or, 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 or mean-spirited, but I can go find a drunk in the gutter and ask him if he believes that Jesus died, was buried, and rose again, and he can honestly tell me yes, but that doesn't save him. Just believing that it happened doesn't save you until you do something about that faith. Wasn't it James who said, faith without works is dead? I'm not preaching salvation by works. Although I will tell you this, I read a, a beautiful quote the other day uh, from many years ago that someone made the statement, said the church world has gone so far overboard in trying to stay away from salvation by works that now they've created an idea of salvation without works. Salvation without obedience. You can't have salvation without obedience. You purify your soul when you obey the truth. I'm going to tell you, you've got to do more than believe he died. You've got to obey that death. You've got to do more than believe he was buried. You've got to obey that burial. You've got to do more than believe he rose from the dead. You've got to obey that resurrection. You want to know how to do that? Well, there was a group of people that asked Simon Peter one day on the day of Pentecost exactly that question. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in, they their, were heart pricked in their hearts. And said unto Peter said and, to to Peter the rest of the apostles, and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, men and brethren what, shall, what we do? shall we do? This is the question of the ages. Tell me how to be saved. Tell me what i got to do. Now I'm here to tell you, Peter did not say, believe on the Lord. Peter did not say, accept the Lord as your personal Savior. I'm just setting the record straight today. They asked, what shall we do? And Peter told them what to do. What did he say? Then Peter, then said, Peter unto said unto them, repent. repent. Listen, we're talking about obeying the death. You want to know how you obey the death of Jesus? By dying yourself. You die out to sin. You die out to carnal nature in a place called repentance. You ask God for mercy. You ask him to change you. You lay it all on the line. You confess your sins to him and ask him to take those sins away. You die to the person you were. You obey his death. Repent and be baptized. 
baptized. Be baptized, every one of every you, every one of you, in the name of Jesus not Christ. saying Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, but in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission, for the of, remission sin. of sins. And We're talking about obeying his burial. I'm telling you how you obey the burial. You are buried with him by baptism. You get into the grave. You go under the water. You call on that name. Hallelujah. I'm trying to help you today. I want to tell you what Easter's really all about. It's not about bunnies and eggs and chocolate and nice clothes. It's about being saved. You got to obey his burial by being baptized in his name. And then you got to obey his resurrection by rising to walk in the newness of life through the rest of Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Let's get back to verse 38 here on the wall. You skipped ahead of us. We weren't finished. For the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. I'm telling you, when that spirit comes to live inside of you, that is the resurrection. That is the power to walk in newness of life. That's what transforms you. That's what changes you. Well, hallelujah. I'm here to proclaim to you this morning that what you've got to do is more than just believe that he died, was buried, and rose again. But you've got to die, be buried, and rise again. Hallelujah. And you do that through repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the gift of the Holy Ghost. Well, praise God. I put this morning on Instagram, the gospel is really a simple trilogy really is three places of importance that we all have to find first of all was that place of gloom Calvary's Hill the place where you die the place of gloom but there's another stop on this road that's the garden tomb you got to go to the tomb you got to be buried But you're still not finished because it goes beyond just the place of gloom and the garden tomb. Don't quit till you get to the upper room. Hallelujah. You need that resurrection power living on the inside of you. And that's what it's all about. He came to establish a brand new covenant. A covenant whereby his law is not just what's written on pages with pen and ink. But it's what's written on your heart through the power of his spirit. Well, praise God. I'm telling you, I'm not the man I used to be. It's not by my own merits. It's not by my own abilities. But it's because I have a spirit living on the inside of me that changed my desires. The things that I used to hate, I now love. And the things I used to love, I now hate. There's a brand new man walking in these shoes, not because of me, not because I had the willpower to change, but because I've got the spirit power. To transform me. And that's what you've got to have. That's what he came to this earth to give you. Let's stand this morning. Hallelujah. I want to tell you, more than just me setting the record straight on the Easter story, there is another record that needs to be set straight. And that record is the record of your life.
the account of your sins. It's all written down. It's all recorded. Everything you've done, every mistake you've made, every transgression you've committed, it's written down. But thank God that record can be set straight. I'm here to tell you about a God who loved you enough that He came to this earth to suffer, to give His life, to set your record straight. And that's what He wants to do in this service today. If you're here today, you don't know Him in the power of the Holy Ghost, don't leave this house without experiencing this resurrection life. Let's talk to the Lord together right now, can we church? I need the saints of God to pray right now. Come on, I need you to pray right now, saints. I need you to do more than just say a few words. I need you to reach out and touch God. There are people here that need salvation today. And we invite you to come and pray. We invite you to come and experience this for yourself. You'll never regret it if you'll set the record straight today.